Hi, I'm Joe, and this is the Decahedron RPG Podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Joe, and today I'm joined by a very special guest, and the guest is Daniel from the Bandit's Keep. Hi, Daniel. Hey, Joe. How are you doing? I am doing great. So I always describe the Bandit's Keep as a podcast about using chainmail as the default combat system for old D&D, but that's only because that's kind of what it's been about since I've started listening to it. Is that really what it's about, or... Is it just a fluke of timing? That, well, it's interesting, right? So while I do talk about that quite a bit, and it's funny that I talk about that because I've mentioned before, combat's not my favorite part of the game. I uh, I think the game's really about me going, uh, the, the podcast rather, it's really about me going back to 1974, seeing changes that were made because of popular choice or whatever Gygax Arneson did, and then going, you know, I'm not sure I love that, and going a different direction. So I, one of those things is using a different combat system. And so that's where my kind of main focus is, because that's a huge difference. And by changing the combat system, the entire game changes. Fighters become way more heroic. Everything is just uh, scaled up. It becomes this like mishmash of low level. You can die real easy, but by third or fourth level, you're like superhero, not super, but you're very heroic. So it changes the game completely. It's different than any OSR vibe that I've ever seen. And that's what I'm kind of trying to master is to create that because I love a good uh, kind of heroic adventure. I don't like my characters to always feel like, or my players to always feel like they're going to die every second. Nice. And from other podcasts, I've heard whenever people talk about you, they talk about your YouTube channel and something else. I think they talk about a media empire, but I know nothing about those. Do you want to give those a plug before we get into the show? Oh yeah. That's Jason being a wise guy. <laughs> I, I do. I do have a YouTube channel. That's probably mostly, I, I, I've been pretty steady with the podcast lately, but sometimes I phase off and don't do it as much. The YouTube channel I, I do all the time. That's just a general D&D advice. I kind of focus on the basic expert set because that's what I learned with, and I think it's a really great way to learn D&D. So when I focus on a subject, like I just did retainers, I'll go back to those rules and I'll say, this is how I learned to do it, and this is how I modified it. So it's kind of that. It's a, So it falls into an old school thing, but it's not like it's only for people that play older games. And if someone was looking for that, what would they look for? Bandits Keep. Oh. If you just look for Bandits Keep, you'll <laughs> find me I'm on Twitter. And I do have a couple of things for sale on DriveThruRPG. That's why Jason jokes, because I have like two things on DriveThruRPG. <laughs> so he says, I have a Meteor Empire. But yeah, that's uh, it, it. primarily the YouTube channel is the place to find me um, and the podcast, obviously. All right. Well, I'm going to dig up links for all those things, including your drive through our, uh, yeah, drive through. Uh, stuff and I'm going to throw them into the show notes but all that's getting a little offhand the reason we are here today is because you sent me this voice feedback uh, I never just leave one message so <laughs> uh, so the thing you said at the very end which I thought was super interesting because it ties into something you said before and then I kind of roughly commented on it which was the story that you want to tell I think is the way you said it the first time and then you said here what you want the players to experience I think that's just a really interesting way to approach it and maybe something that I would consider looking at. You know, you kind of throw the other side like, oh, just willy-nilly do whatever, but that's not how I approach things at all. I approach it as what do the players want to explore? So I, I almost never create any large universe or anything like that without sitting down with the players first and say, what is it that you want your characters to do, generally speaking? What kind of worlds would you like to explore? What kind of things? And then together we kind of, find something that works for both of us. I never think I want my players to experience this 
so I'm going to create a world. So I guess that's what I meant in my other comment. And I would love to hear more of your thoughts on that because I think the approach of, oh, I know my friends love this, I can kind of do this for them, is a pretty cool approach. I just never think of it that way because I guess I don't want all that responsibility. I'd much rather them do what they want to do. Anyways, great show. I'll talk to you later. All right. So you sent me in that voice feedback and I was going to do a reply and I said, you know, actually, I think I could do a whole episode about this. And then I thought, you know, it might even be better to have Daniel on for it. But I got to say, when I first heard it, it almost came across as an attack. And that's that's not anything that you said or anything. That's because the the way it sounds like you interpreted is the exact kind of GMing I, I don't like. I don't think I do that. And so I think in the end, it's going to come down to uh, some language semantics and some um, situational things. And I think at the end, you're going to say, you know, Joe, you, you're a genius. You're absolutely right. I should never challenge you. <laughs> right. No, you know, it's funny. I didn't want it to come. That's why at the end, I, you could see I was kind of like backpedaling. I wanted to make sure it didn't come off as an attack. I didn't mean it like that. Well, it was actually interesting because I, when you first said it, I was like, oh, that's interesting. You know, and you do get that thought, right? Because you hear about these people that are like, I just, it's my world. It's my world. And I do what I want. The players can come or go, but you don't come off like that at all. You talk about how you like open world, how you want players to explore, how you like sandbox. And I'm like, so this is a different approach. I think what you're doing here is you're thinking, I know my group because I play with them a lot. They like such, such, such. I can put this into a world and it'll almost uh, surprise them in a way like, like, oh, wow, I know they like, I'm just going to name something, Star Trek, because I know you like Star Trek. And you're playing Traveler and then you put something in there, this uh, this part of Star Trek that maybe they didn't know was going to be there. And then they can be surprised and be like, oh, wow, that's cool that Joe did that. And it's awesome that we can experience that which is super cool. Like I actually think that's a really interesting way to approach it. And I, and, and I hadn't thought about that. I normally create something and then I let them go in a direction. When I see them trying to do something, I go, all right, this is what we're going to do. Cause that's what they're doing. But, but then the surprise isn't as much, I guess. So I, I like that. So I wanted to dig deeper and see like, like how you kind of evaluate what is what you think they'll like, I guess. Like, if you pull them from previous games, do you just kind of get a sense for it? Like what, that's really what I was coming, where I was coming from. So I've prepared like a, let's say a one, two, three, four, a five point defense right here, my grubby little hands. <laughs> um, and what you just addressed is point number two, but actually you have it almost flipped exactly. It's not that I know my group so well, because sadly, because, you know, I've moved a lot in my life and everything. I'm, I'm very much an introvert. So going out there and meeting friends in the real world to form a gaming group, that's, that's not going to happen. <laughs> um, so the vast majority of my playing is is like online through Roll20. And what I do is I, I make the game, right? Okay, what, what, what I want to run, and then I post it. So, you know, I make it open. A lot of times I even do as an open table. You know, you know, there's no commitment. You can come in for one week. You can, all of them come in this week, skip three weeks, come in for another week. I, I don't care, you know. But yeah, so I do it that way. And so... By creating, well, first of all, doing it this way, there's there's no one to ask. Hey, what kind of adventure are you looking for? You know, what kind of, you know, you, th that that isn't there. And even if you were to pull the group together, you know, they're they're all people that don't know each other. You know, they just saw this game and they clicked on it and say, yeah, I'll join that. So trying to take these different people to come to a consensus, that's going to be like herding cats. Um, mm -hmm. And by posting what my idea for the campaign is, 
um, if they look at it and they say, yeah, that's interesting, they'll join. If they say, that's not my thing, they won't. Oh, okay. So this is interesting, right? Again, it comes down to perspective. Because I play with a regular group all the time, I assume that that's how everybody else plays, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, and, and so it just didn't even occur to me that, oh, right, if you're if you're posting for strangers like a one shot, right? That's a complete. Well, it's not a one shot in your case, but like when I do a one shot where I would do for strangers, right? You're creating something, and then it comes down to describing it, right? Like, okay, I, I have this idea that I think players will like. Random player, I don't know who they are, and I'm going to. Uh, come up with this cool world and this cool idea. And then I'm going to really give a good pitch and say, this campaign or this adventure is about this. It includes these kind of elements. It's for people that enjoy this. I mean, am I getting this right? Is this kind of what you're doing? So you're kind of there other than you got to substitute the world word adventure with the word story. Um, because like I said in the past, I think it was like the second episode we recorded. It was about the titles of a game master, right? You know, referee. I went through a whole list. I went through my my bookshelf and I wrote down the terms. And we, you know, James was on that show, and we just went through each one in terms. And when we came to ones like narrator and storyteller, I was like, no, I I hate those terms because it's not the GM's job to tell the story. It's not the GM's story. It's the player's story. The GM is just the set designer that sets up the set for the actors, the the players, to come in and play their parts and to tell their stories. So in the episode that you were responding to when you left that voicemail was one where I was setting up a campaign world. But again, that was just the world. There was no particular adventure in that world. It was just the backdrop where the players will be able to come in and have the story that they want. And very cleverly, it's almost like you see my notes, that was point number one on my defense. All right. Well, no, that's – and I think that maybe is where, like, the first disconnect was for me with the first time you said it because I get that. You're building a world, which is, of course – again, I say I don't do a lot of deep world building, but I definitely think about things and I go, well, you know, I kind of like, let's say, which world from Andre Norton. So I'm going to have this kind of basic concept because you have to have some – right? You can't just be like, do what you like. You're right? you got to have something, some kind of structure. But you, you – know, I think the phrase you used was – the adventures I want them to have or something or the stories I want that And I thought that was interesting because I thought, well, how do you know? So I guess, you know, by playing with them or by just telling them up front, this is what this is. And they want to have it because they're joining the game that says, this is what this is. Is that closer? Again, interesting. Cause you now led me into point number four on my defense. <laughs> uh, so, so what I said is, is the story I want to tell. Right. So now I'm going to go into an analogy of movie making. Okay. When you watch a movie, yeah, you, you watch a movie and it's this one coherent, wonderful thing. But, you know, when you're making the movie, you have all these actors and each actor is really telling a different story, the story arc of that character. And they're telling it like their way as an actor, you know, a different person would play that role differently and you get a different performance. But on top of that, you have like the sound guy and he's telling the same story, but he's telling it through sounds and maybe with music, you know, and upbeat here and downbeats there and stuff like that. And, and you have the lighting director and he's telling the same story with light and shadow and darkness and color. And I could go on wardrobe, all those people, but they're all telling the story and they're all telling their story but for the, the greater whole. So when I was talking about the story I want to tell, that's that's the story of the world. That's, as the GM, that is my 
my golden box, if you will, where I get to control and tell that story. And that story is all the past and it's the present. It's the things that's happening in the background. Again, it's all set in the stage for the PCs to come and tell their story. Okay. Yeah, no, I like that. I, I like the way that you're breaking it down. It's really interesting uh, because, right, and I, I, I think the the danger that some people might see in something like that is, and I'll go back to your analogy, is that in the end, the director probably sitting down with the person that cuts the movie <laughs> is the one that finally makes the choice, right? Like in the end, no matter what the actors do, no matter what the sound guy does, whatever they do on set, in the end, it's that final edit that can make or break a movie. And if you are too handsy, right, uh, you can, that you're controlling, you're too controlling, I think that you will only tell your story and not their story. So I think that's the fine line that people sometimes, I'm not saying you do, but that people uh, can cross and where we get the people that the railroaders or the things that people complain about, right? The the GM doesn't let me do something because they have this fixed in mind, like this is going to happen, Right. And I think that that's an area that can be problematic. I'm not saying that you do that. I'm saying that I thought that was just interesting because I thought it doesn't – What the words that you said, and this is why it comes down to the discussion, right? And that's why I said in my message I'd love to hear more because the words you said in my mind triggered something, but it wasn't at all what you were saying or what <laughs> you meant. And right, elaboration is great. That's why it's uh, – it's it's good to have a conversation because I'm I'm digging it. I, I like this idea of right because that's what every GM is doing. I'm, every I can't say everybody does anything, but you know <laughs> you're creating before before the person shows up, right? Or the party shows up. You're creating the enemies that are in the the dungeon or the armies that they're going to fight or the the big bad or the comet that's coming to destroy the earth, right? Like you're creating those things, and then the players are telling the story of their characters and how they interact with the situation that has been created. And then together that creates a, a bigger story, uh, uh, which is something you tell at the table after the fact. So I guess what I'm saying is mm -hmm. just expounding on kind of what you're saying, but go going back to the, the sandbox metaphor. And uh, I heard it on some other podcasts um, where, you know, it's not enough to have the sandbox. You have to put in the little dinosaurs too. But <laughs> in that case, you know, my, my world building is, yeah, setting up that sandbox, but not only with the, the little dinosaurs, but with little dioramas everywhere. And if you actually looked at it, it is a story in itself. But then you go in and you do whatever you want. Because, again, I'm very loosey-goosey with my stories. And, like, again, the, the world building, that's that's all the past. That's what has happened. That's nothing with what's going to happen. Um, in fact, I was talking to a coworker, Sam. He's actually sent in feedback before uh, yesterday. And we were talking about, uh, role-playing games and I was talking about Ryutama which is a game I talk about a lot on the show but Ryutama because I was looking at it because I was talking to Sam about it and some of the things I liked and didn't like about it I stumbled across a section on adventure design you know how to design an adventure for Ryutama it's a lot like uh, for the Star Trek the next generation the role-playing game <laughs> there was the narrator's toolkit uh, which was written by Ken Height I think either Ken Height or S. John Ross Anyway, in there, there's also a section about adventure design, and it's almost the same section for both of these. And they say, you know, pretty much follow the three-act model. You know, you have your introduction, your climax, your conclusion. What they're saying, you know, you should have your introduction scene and then your next scene. and your So you map out all these scenes. And whenever I read either one of those, I'm like, but where's the room for the player decisions? Where's the room for the player to say in, you know, scene one, we're going to go do this. And that totally derails all those other scenes. And I, I don't know why 
Yeah, so all that's to say, I'm a very sandboxy guy. You know, when you come into my world, you do what you want. I'm not going to lead you by the nose. And actually, we had a, James and I did an interview on sandboxes. It was about James's struggle with sandboxes, my love for them, because he wants to be told what to do next. I'm oversimplifying that a lot. There's more nuance in there. But yeah, and so, yeah, I am not going to lead you by the nose. That story is in the past. The story, when you're in my game, the story is about you. You need to tell that story, though, and you need to go find the things, but there's going to be things all over the place, and hit those switches, flip those knobs. You don't flip a knob. You turn a knob. But anyway, um, do those things and make stuff happen. Yeah, that's it's funny because as you were describing those two game narrative things, I was hoping that you were going to say you didn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> I often see people talk about that, and I'm just like, how do you know – where like like it's like the idea of creating the final scene before any players have touched in. How do you know that's going to be the final scene? I'm with you. So this comes down to my other thing. Well, you have five things. I had two things. The first thing I already covered. Uh, what do we know what the players want? Which obviously you don't. So you're doing it a little differently. You're creating and then you're letting them know what the thing is and allowing them to join or not. But then once they come into the world, right? How do how do we change or do we change what we already had preconceived? to fit what the players do want. So let's say, for instance, you you did say, well, this world, in my game, you guys are scouts, right? Because you're talking about space travel, space yep. games on your podcast currently. And I want the game to be that they're scouts and doing stuff. But then let's say that you get two sessions in and all the players want to deal with the in- intrigue on the main uh, battleship or whatever. And they don't really, they're not interested in that. When you send them out to do uh, scout missions, they're just like, you know, flipping the dials, you know, whatever, <laughs> you know, because they, they're like, okay, fine. You're sending us to do this. We have to do it because we're soldiers. What we really want to do is hang out in the officer's lounge and gamble and, and, and have intrigues. And like, where, where, and where is this, uh, do you, is it possible to have the game shift without it being a complete, like, okay, we're just not doing what we we're doing before. Like, how do you, how, how do we do that? Right. And I say we, because anybody, right. How, what do you do when, when your player just don't do the thing that you, kind of thought they would do because you created this idea that like in my case i'm doing you know, in my current campaign i created this thing where they were going to delve into this dungeon and they basically left the dungeon after three sessions and never went back so <laughs> you know how do we deal with that because i don't have the rest of it created yet so it's really interesting i mean i know how i've done it but i'd love to hear how you do it because i think it's really interesting to see how other people would similar because i think we're very similar i think i said that before on a call maybe i haven't played it yet where i said that you sometimes say that uh you know, well, you would like the the way I play or, or because of Chainmail or whatever, because you're more narrative. But I think I'm an incredibly narrative GM. So maybe that's another time we could talk about. But I'm going off course now. But yeah, I, I'm curious about that. Like, how do you change things? Or do you or do you just kind of like go, hey, guys, you know, that intrigue's fun, but you're you're space travelers and you got to do this. Like, how, how do you do that? Like oh. in a campaign? Yeah. So in that specific example you gave, first of all, mm-hmm. awesome, because it's so much less work to uh, just come back, come out with ship intrigue than it is to generate new planets and new adventures every week. So that like, yeah, awesome. Yeah. You just made my life easier. And that's just where you move the spotlight to, right? You still have those other stuff, but it's in the background instead of saying, okay, today you're going to go down to Rigel seven and you're going to explore, you know, the lost minds of, I don't know, the Rigelians. You just say, well, you just got back from exploring the lost mines of Rigelius and Captain Branding is in the corner crying. 
whatever, you know, and you, that's what, that's what they're interested in. That's where you move the, the spotlight to. And that's easy peasy in my mind. Uh, it's not even a question, but yeah, you just follow the players and you follow the, the players tell you what they're interested in without saying, this is what I'm interested in because they go and they do that thing. And so that's, that's just what you adjudicate and that's what you go with. And that's what you spend more time with. Um, did, did I answer the question? It seems really easy in my yeah. mind. <laughs> Well, no, that, yeah, no, well, believe, I, I believe that there are many people that would just be like, well, then I'll make the space combat more interesting to them or all the, you know, uh, because I think that some people are very fixed and I know I, I get the sense that you're not, that's why, I mean, your answer is exactly what I would have said. That's why that's how you do it. You just, you can go over that part, right? Like if you're, if you're all about hex crawling, let's say you're an old school D and D guy and you're like, oh, I'm going to hex crawl, hex crawl. And you see the players just yawning every time they move from hex to hex. Then you just start at the dungeon. You know, it's like, if that's what they'd rather do. And I think that some people don't get that. And that's why I think this is a great discussion. Again, I didn't mean this that you don't. I actually think you're the opposite of that. And that's the reason why I thought it would be a really cool discussion, because I think we're very similar, even though we play different types of games, if that makes sense. Or maybe we don't. We both play D&D, right? D&D is actually not my favorite role-playing game. It's, well, I don't know. It's one of those things. The further you get from its origin, the less I like it. Um, yes, I, I look at old D and D, and I see this nugget there that's ready to be molded and shaped, and could be something awesome and great. And the mm-hmm. more classes you add, I think, mm-hmm. the further you get away from what I like. And mm-hmm. but just some of the arbitrariness stuff, I I don't like. Like first edition GURPS, I thought was a great game. Again, the more it went on, second edition, third edition, fourth edition, the less I liked it. In the end, it all comes down to what. The, the mantra everyone used to say back in the early 80s, I don't know, if, I, I have no idea where you exist on the time scale of life, but back in the early 80s when alternatives to D&D were first starting to come out and everything and people were starting to play other things and all the D&D players would, would say, game system doesn't really matter. You can play any game with any system. Not exactly true, but also true. Again, we're talking about methods of storytelling now in my mind, right? And right. Um, not the story you're going to tell, but the way you're going to tell it. And you, you could you could do it in old D&D just as easily as you can do it in GURPS. So the, the types of games, as opposed to game system, yeah, it sounds like we're, we're very much on the same page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. It, it's funny you say old D&D had a nugget. Right? That, that's when we went back to the beginning. You asked me what my podcast was about. Like, that's it. Like, I, I run just the three classes. Every few months, uh, I have this, like, thought. And I'm like, should I introduce the thief class? <laughs> and guess what? <laughs> I haven't. And, and nobody, nobody at my table. And I will say, too, because sometimes I say this and people are like, well, you play with a bunch of old people. Uh, my group is people in their 20s and 30s. I'm the oldest person being 50. In my group, and they all have played, well, mostly, have either played nothing or they've played Pathfinder, they've played 5e. They're they're not players who are old school people. They're just people that can appreciate that if you are, if there's fewer classes, fewer things, they can create the story they want, right? Because they have that option. They can, your character can be anything they want. You know, what is a fighter? A fighter is whatever you want it to be. You want to be a ranger? Well, then get a bow and go in the woods and be a ranger. You know, it's like, (laughs) you don't need a class for that. So, yeah, I think that that's kind of where I'm at. And this is this is where I, I get into the idea of, like, the world, right? Because we create a world and we go, like, if I had rangers in my world, they would just be fighters, right? It would just be a group of people and it would be their culture that was 
made them rangers. It wouldn't be a class, right? And then if the players inter- uh, interacted with them in some way, then that would help bring it into the campaign or shape it. And that's it. I think player interaction into our sandbox that we make, right? You make your sandbox, you put your dinosaurs, you put your dioramas, and then whatever they do is what becomes the final story or the final cut, right, of the, of the game. And I, going back to the movie, and I'll just have spun that around. Uh, and I think I think we are on the same page. That's the reason why I I, I called. I, I I will say I I, do, I know that like that may have used at the beginning. You thought maybe I was coming at you, but but yeah, I wouldn't uh, <laughs> I wouldn't do that. You know, I, if I don't like something, I just kind of go, well, it's not for me, and I move on. I, if I see something there, and I'm like, what is going on here? I'm really curious. And then I'll ask. Like I I would never call a show and be a jerk. That's I don't see the point in that. Yeah, at no point did, did I think you were. I might have worded it weakly. It's just that initial reaction. It's like I have to defend myself. <laughs> well, no, one hundred percent. That's why I why I kind of mentioned it because that's why I said I mentioned the other card. I think that was, that was the one that was lost. I because uh, I said something like, "Oh, you said that. That's interesting. I'll call in about that." And then I didn't. And then I was like, "Oh, I should call in and clarify because that might sound like I'm being negative." And and I, I really wasn't. I was curious because again, you talk about narrative, you talk about building the story, you talk about sandbox, and then I was like, "That doesn't seem you know the words on the page didn't click." uh fully well on the page in the podcast <laughs> with what uh, so i wanted to know more i was like you know click on that and expand and and this is great because i i love what you're throwing down i think that uh that's exactly like i think i love it because we're on the same page <laughs> <laughs> so so you'd be so, wrong if you were different no i'm just kidding <laughs> so did did you get through all the, your defense points yeah well actually, actually i have my my defenses in my hand the two i didn't get to say was that um <laughs> the short version was, you, you know, when when Gygax wrote Greyhawk, he he didn't call me up and ask my opinion. No, so w- whenever I create these worlds in the early episodes, I always said, you know, I'm a frustrated game designer. Uh, in my mind, whenever I make these things, I'm like, you know, maybe it would be good enough to actually write down, make a little supplement, and put it online for free or pay for pay what you want or something. So I, I can't pull the entire universe and say. You know, what what kind of story do you want to tell in your game? So I can only do what I find interesting. And if other people want it, they can pick it up. Right. No, that's excellent. And and the thing is, I guess, again, that comes down to the, I guess, where my base was, which was I'm creating something for players that I play with all the time. You're yep. creating something that maybe is more of a general thing to play with people, uh, you know, different people. So if I'm creating a module, right, that I'm going to, for, let's say I'm creating something for a um, a convention. Yeah, 100%. You can't, obviously, the, you don't know who's going to play in it, right? So right. you just create what you think is good. So yes, 100%. I, again, I think I was, part of my thought was you were playing with the same people all the time, but partially because you have James on a lot, and I thought you guys just are, were a group that you played together. So a lot of times when I run a game on Jay, uh, Roll20, James will join that uh, game. So there, there used to be two, James and Peter. Peter's never been on the show, but they would all, often join and so once you have two, it's easy to find another one or two to fill out a party for Roll20. Roll20, you know, gaming's a lot slower online, so gaming groups should be smaller anyway. Anyway, um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, he'd usually join. Peter got a night shift job, so uh, he wasn't able to join us anymore. James was at my very first game session ever back in 1970-whatever. Nice. Indirectly, he is how I found games then my last point was going to be um that the game has to match my talents and my interests for example again we'll bring james into it james is big on urban fantasy he loves urban fantasy um shadow run 
probably the Dresden Files or whatever. It's not my thing at all. For some reason, when you bring magic into the modern day or anything like that, my brain just shuts down. I don't know what it is. I have no problem bringing the modern day or the future back into the past, but you do it the other way around. I, I just don't like it. Don't know why. I can't explain it. But if you ask me to run Dresden Files, it's not going to happen. It, it just can't. It's not only do I dislike it, I'm not steeped enough in that kind of mythos and that kind of fiction to be able to set a story there. I, I don't know how that would work. I just, I can't do it. And so I, just as much as we say that the, the players, you know, you, the, the setting, the story and all that has to appeal to the setting. It also has to appeal to the GM. The GM is really another player around the table. So if it doesn't interest me, I, if it doesn't match my skills, I can't do it. That was my last point. Yeah. Well, that's a very good one, obviously. And, and I think that. Yeah, that uh, yes, of course. You know, I think where I was, I was more uh, diving in, like zooming in on the. You know, you're already decided you're going to play Traveler, but what's the world, right? Not, uh, not what what game we're going to play. Like if somebody asked me to run, uh, same thing. I'm not an urban fantasy person. I would have no idea how to do it. So I certainly wouldn't run that game either. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. That makes 100 percent sense. And uh, yeah, you got it. I mean, now if you're interested in something and you haven't run the game before, that's different. But if you just don't have an interest in the genre, I think knowing your genre is one of the keys to being able to be kind of more fluid at the table, yes. like understanding yeah. what might happen, right? When the players do the thing that is not the thing that you thought they were going to do, because that's exactly what they do. So, <laughs> you know, you got to think, well, what would happen in that genre if that thing happened? And for instance, if I'm running swords and sorcery games I, and the players screw up and they go somewhere, they're almost always captured because people are always captured in swords and sorcery. I don't just have the guards kill them. That never happens. They're always captured, right? It's just not the way that genre works. But I know that. So I know that if I'm running a sword and sorcery game and the Conan-esque character is sneaking in and the, the enemy gets a jump on them, they knock them over the head. Next thing you know, they're tied up with, you know, some evil priest wanting to sacrifice them, right? That's basically the genre. Right? That's how that flies. Yeah, I mean, the, that's not even... Swords and sorcery, that is all ad adventure literature ever, right? I mean, every detective story, you know, when, when the hero gets capped, otherwise the story's over, right? That's, yeah, I'm a big fan of capturing. I'm a big fan of ransoms. They're captured and they're held for ransom. And then maybe the next player, maybe the rest of the party, whatever, can raise a ransom and free them. Um, it's also good adventure seeds. One of my favorite ones is that there is a woman in town who needs you to go negotiate the ransom for the release of her husband. Um, and she's going to give you 5,000 gold. Uh, you get to keep whatever's left over, but they're asking for more. So you're going to have to negotiate down or, you know, if you can go and just break them out of there without paying the ransom. Hey, it's all yours, whatever. Um, but yeah, I'm a big fan of ransoms. I'm a big fan of uh, capturing. And uh, yeah, I, in my own game designs, I always say defeated rather than killed. So yeah. Same. I think that's so much more interesting. And again, it's not because... Uh, I'm trying to coddle the players, but it's just because it makes more sense that most people wouldn't just kill you. I mean, obviously, if you get hit by a dragon and, you know, you're reduced to zero with the dragon's breath, you're probably dead. But <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it depends on the on the situation, right? What defeated means. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I agree completely. Well, I think we've covered the entire topic we were going to and we're in danger of heading down some very interesting side roads. <laughs> but was there anything else you wanted to say? No, that was great. I'm I'm glad that we got to do it this way because you probably would have uh, done a very good job, uh, you know, with your five points just 
talking about them and reply to the call. But I appreciate that you had me on because I think we got a deeper conversation. And uh, yeah, and I, I honestly, I got what I thought I was going to get, which is that we basically agree on this. And, and it's just kind of I was more kind of picking your brain as to how you do it. And it makes it makes a lot of sense how you do that. And I've got a few little tips that I can use in the future. So yeah. thank you. And likewise, saying thank you very much for being on the show, Daniel. And everybody, again, Daniel is Daniel's Keep on both uh, YouTube. Haha. And uh, on your favorite uh, podcast listening device. And uh, yeah, definitely, if you if you haven't checked out a show, I find that hard to believe. I don't think there's very many people that listen to my show that haven't heard your show. But if you're one of those people, head over, listen to Daniel's show. It is a great show, even though I am not a fan of chain mail. We'll have to convince you at some point. <laughs> What I'd like to do is I'll, at some point, if you want, uh, you know, we can schedule it. I will run a little adventure for you uh, using Chainmail, and you can then evaluate whether or not you like it. Because I think it's it's much different than you think it is. Uh, it's, you know, it's it's a much, much different system. Like I said, it's much more heroic. Uh, you, the characters are way more powerful. Maybe you don't like that. So maybe you won't like that. <laughs> no, but, I, uh, I, find, I find that fighters suck in D&D as, so, as soon as you use the alternate combat system. Not even as soon as Greyhawk comes out. And then the rest of D&D's development is a quest to make fighters not suck. And they, to my mind, they never did it. If they just go to chain mail, fighters don't suck. <laughs> that I, interesting. I'm, I'm not going to disagree with, with your core premise there because, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, an ever, a never ending quest to nerf the magic user. Right. And also magic users weaker, right? Exactly. Yeah. But anyway, we're going off topic. Daniel, thank you very, very much for joining me. Uh, everyone, check out his show. Everyone, thanks for listening. Feel free to send us feedback, feedback at decahedring.com, or you can go to the play message boards at www.decahedring.com slash boards. Heck, leave off the dashboards, and there's a section on there that says all the ways to leave feedback. Again, thanks for listening, and until next week, happy gaming, happy life. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Decahedron RPG cast. We'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a voice message by calling 562-774-2278. That's 562-RPG-CAST. Or by visiting sayhi.chat slash Decahedron. You can also email us at feedback at Decahedron.com. Links are in the show notes. For more information, visit Decahedron.com. Remember that Decahedron is spelled with a K. Music is by Kevin McLeod. Logo is by Design Cat. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep those dice rolling.